Uh, well, happy Thanksgiving to you. I hope you're just having a great weekend. I hope you are finding all kinds of places uh, to be thankful to God in your life for his goodness to you. Uh, if you're new this morning or today, my name is Jonathan. I'm the lead pastor here at Ridge Church. Uh, glad that you're joining us. Uh, we are in our series in the Gospel of John. And uh, today we come to the part of John chapter 1 where we actually meet Jesus in the flesh. Until now, we've been talking about him. People have been pointing to him. But today we actually meet Jesus. And here's Here's what happens. Let me read for you the text we're going to look at today. John chapter 1, beginning in verse 35. This is what it says. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means the Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, and he said, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus answered, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So this is the account of Jesus kind of coming on the scene and interacting with the first disciples. And it tells us at the beginning that John the Baptist is standing with two of his disciples and he points out for the second time, he says, behold the Lamb of God when he sees Jesus coming by. And those two disciples, they look and then they leave John and they begin to follow Jesus. And after they follow Jesus a distance, he turns around to, to them. And his, his first words to them, the first thing that Jesus says to these potential disciples is a question. Here's what he asks them. He says to them, what are you seeking? You know, his first words to those who potentially wanted to follow him were not an introduction. You know, hi, I'm Jesus. Pleased to meet you. They weren't a pitch, like, hey, this is why you should follow me. He didn't even ask them a lot about themselves. He said, hey, tell me about yourselves. Who are you? No, no. His very first words to them were this. What is it that you are seeking? What is it you're looking for? What is it that you, that you want out of life? I mean, where is it that you think you're going to find your meaning? Because, you see, everybody... Everybody is looking for something. Money, 
fame, power, acceptance, love, hope, peace. I mean, Jesus says to them, what is it that you are seeking? You know, in our culture, that's a, it's a major question, but it's one that's always just sort of sits beneath the surface. Very few people actually articulate what it is that they are seeking. Now, it used to be that many people found sort of meaning and purpose in, in traditional religion. Uh, certainly in the Western world, that was the case. But as, uh, as the sociologist Robert Winthrow, who studies these things, as he points out, many people these days have sort of abandoned traditional religion because in their mind it is what he calls it oppressive, creativity stifling, and smug moralism. Many people say, I ain't going to traditional religion. But the problem that has been developing is that at the same time there's this growing sense of disenchantment with secularism. With, with, with the other option, which is that, you know, science and reason alone can give us kind of the meaning and the purpose and the hope that we need in life. People are saying, well, that doesn't really do it for me either. And the result is that lots of people, although they've abandoned sort of traditional religion, have picked up on this sort of spiritualism. They, they, they say, I'm spiritual. There's sort of this vague spirituality that they are seeking to fill those needs in their life. Jesus says, what is it that you are seeking? And, and he turns and he asks these two potential disciples that are following him, and they haven't really thought about it deep enough, and they, they, they don't, I mean, it's a big question, and they're on the spot, and they kind of mumble like, well, Rabbi, uh, you know, where are you staying? And in response, Jesus says to them, come and see. Now, on one level, that's simply an invitation. Come and see where it is I'm staying, and we'll talk there. But at another level, at a much deeper level, this is an invitation to faith in Jesus. What are you looking for in life? Come and see what I have to offer you in terms of finding life. Jesus is going to offer them not some vague spirituality, nor some crusty traditional religion. Rather, he's going to offer them something much deeper, much richer, much more satisfying. He's going to offer them an ongoing relationship with a person, with his own person, with him. And so, and so here's, here's the first thing that Jesus means when he says, come and see. He means this, come and investigate. Come and find out. Jesus invited these guys to come and to watch him, to come and to see where it is that he actually stays. And how he interacts with people and, and how he lives his life and, and, and what he does and ultimately who he is. And that's what they do. John says that they went with Jesus and they arrived at his place at about the 10th hour. That's about four o'clock in the afternoon, which is good for them. But what about us? I mean, how do we come and see? How do we come and investigate Jesus? Because clearly we can't just follow him to his apartment and hang out with him at four o'clock in the afternoon. And the answer is that we find out who Jesus is by what we're doing, by studying the Gospels. And in particular, the one we're studying right now, the Gospel of John. And the thing is, when we get talking about the Gospels, you can know that these are incredibly accurate accounts of Jesus' life. And there's all kinds of reasons for that. One of them is the kind of detail that we find in a gospel like the Gospel of John. For example, when John says that it was about the 10th hour, 
or, or the next day that it was the next day when Jesus passed by or any of those details, those kinds of details are not found in ancient fiction. Okay, We use all kinds of details in modern fiction in these days, but in ancient, in ancient fiction, they didn't do details. They just did plot. They, they, they didn't say the next day Jesus passed by. They would say like once upon a time. They, they didn't say, oh, it happened at the 10th hour across the Jordan near Bethsaida. They just said, they would just say something happened. You see, what we have here is an eyewitness account. In fact, even as we've been studying through the opening chapter of this gospel, five or six different times, the apostle John records John the Baptist saying that he saw or sometimes it's translated he testified to or he bore witness to. In Greek, it's all the same word. And that word, uh, it, it, it means I was actually there. I saw this with my own eyes. And now this is my testimony, which is admissible evidence in court. In other words, what John is recording here is not some vague impression or some general thoughts. It's not some sort of ancient work of fiction. It is an eyewitness account of what was seen and what Jesus did. In fact, C.S. Lewis, the Oxford professor uh, whose whole area of study was literature, he writes this about the Gospels. Here's what he says. There are only two possible views of the Gospel accounts. Either this is reporting, as close to the facts as Boswell reporting on Samuel Johnson's life, or else some unknown writer in the second century, without any known predecessors or successors, suddenly anticipated the whole technique of modern, novelistic, realistic, narrative fiction. If these things didn't happen, the writer must have accomplished this, or else it is nothing but a fraud. The reader who doesn't see this has simply not learned how to read. Here's what C.S. Lewis is saying. He's saying this, either these Gospels are true accounts of Jesus' life or they're total frauds. But if they're frauds, they're incredible frauds because what was written was nothing that was known in that day. What he's saying, though, is that you can't simply say, oh, that's a nice story that somebody made up. And maybe they added a little bit of fluff here and a little bit there, but Jesus was clearly a moral teacher and, and he has some good things to say to us. No, no. No, if you, he's saying, if you understand this kind of literature, if you understand what ancient history is all about, if you know the science behind this, either you have to accept what the gospel says as being utterly true, or you have to consider it to be a total and complete fraud. Either, either Jesus is who he says he is, or the person or people who came up with this came up with something that had never been thought of before in that day. And they perpetrated it in such a brilliant way, even though they didn't believe that God would come in the flesh, that they didn't believe any concept of the Trinity, and they lived such attractive lives that they won over the entire empire. Either it's true or it's a fraud. Now, of course, it's hard to believe that God became a man and dwelt among us, but it's just as hard if you know the science to believe that the whole thing was a fraud and that it changed the entire Roman Empire. Jesus' invitation to his, those disciples in that day, to you and I, is to come and investigate. Come and see who he is. Come and understand what his life was all about. Come and learn and know 
who he is. It's a call to move past this sort of vague spirituality and, and, and at the same time to leave behind this stiff, oppressive kind of traditional religion and rather to enter into a relationship with God himself. That's the first thing. But, then, but the second thing that come and see means is this. It means come and follow. But look at verse 40. In verse 40, it says this. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. These two guys, these, the first two disciples that were with, with uh, John the Baptist, one of them is Andrew. And after coming and investigating Jesus, not just from a distance, not, not just, oh, he's a great teacher, but up close and personal. I mean, when he comes there, he finds out that Jesus is like no one else that they, he's ever met. I mean, Jesus has insights on the human heart and insights on life and wisdom about how to live this life and offers hope for the future that no one else offers. I mean, when he gets close and he investigates, he's like, I got to tell my brother. And so he goes and, and he says, we've found the Messiah. We found the Christ. No fancy gospel presentation. No three-minute speech. Nothing like that. He simply blurts it out. He just, he just it, it bubbles out of him. It's, he, he gossips the gospel. Right? I mean, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. This is how the majority of people come to know and to follow Jesus. It just kind of spills out in the conversations that they have. You know, I was talking with a, a friend of mine uh, not long ago uh, who told me uh, how he came to faith in Christ. And uh, he told me the same thing that I've heard over and over and over when I've talked to people about how they come to Christ. It wasn't just one person. There was all kinds of different people that just kind of gossiped the gospel along the way. And he said, he said one of them was a, a co-worker of his that he carpooled with. Uh, they would carpool and his co-worker was a Christian and, and he had the radio on, the Christian radio on, and they got talking about different things. And in the middle, they got talking about this big decision, the, the big decisions that need to be made in life. And he turned to them and said, well, how do you make those big decisions? And his friend kind of gave him this funny look like, well, I pray about them, of course. And it struck him. And he said, well, when you pray about them, do you get an answer? And again, his friend looked at him like, duh. He said, yeah, of course I get an answer. And that little interaction just on a drive home that was so profound in, in his spiritual growth and his journey towards what God is doing in his life. He just gossiped the gospel. And this is what Andrew does. Andrew has this, this genuine relationship with his brother. And when he sees what Jesus is doing in his life, he comes and he, he says, Peter, to, uh, Simon, he says, Simon, we found the Messiah. And then he says, you need to come with me and follow Jesus. It's fascinating. You know, following Jesus requires movement. That, that's what to follow means. You see, Andrew could have said to Simon, hey, I heard, I met this guy yesterday. He told me all these amazing things. It was incredible. And Simon could have said, cool, I believe you. But that's not the same as following. Believing and following are two different things. The following 
requires action. I mean, you, 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 can, you can listen to somebody. You can think that intellectually they're great. Uh, you can find them fascinating and beautiful and even enlightening. But that doesn't mean that you are following them. It's like this. You can read an author and, and love their work, whatever their book is. You say, wow, this is really great. You read some more. You, you can get together with some people and have a book club discussion. You could watch interviews of them on YouTube. You might even go to a book signing and shake their hand. You say, man, I, I, I think this guy is great or this lady is great. That, that's that's kind of like believing. But if you, if you marry them, well, that changes everything, doesn't it? I mean, I mean now... Your whole life is impacted by that person. I mean, you know, you know if you got married, the, the next morning after you got married, you woke up and you thought, oh my goodness, if I'm going to go get a loaf of bread now, I need to tell my spouse where I'm going. I mean, it changes everything about how you live your life. That's, that's what following is. It requires movement. It requires action. It requires that person being part of your life. And so Andrew brings Simon to Jesus. And Jesus sees him and he says to him, look, you are Simon, son of John, but you shall be called Cephas. Now Cephas was Aramaic, which is the language that Jesus and the disciples spoke. But John is writing here this new, the, the gospel in Greek. So he adds, which is Peter, which is the Greek name. And Peter means rock. And what, what, what's happening here is that Jesus meets Simon. He says, Simon, I know who you are. But if you follow me, I know who you will become. You'll become like this rock, this, this solid thing. The invitation of Jesus is to come and follow. In other words, to come and be transformed, to be changed. It, it's, it's such a greater invitation than this vague spirituality. It's come and kind of wander around a little bit lost. So much greater than than the sort of traditional religion, which is like, just come and, and have your soul and life crushed out of you. I mean, that, that, what, what Jesus offers, it says is this, if you follow me, I will change you. Not by force, not, not, not against your will, but as I pour my love and my grace and my, and my, my care into your life, it will change who you are. Of course, it doesn't happen overnight. It's a process. But it does happen as we walk with him. There's some friends of mine, uh, they, uh, they moved across the country. They moved to Nova Scotia. We keep in touch once in a while via email. My friends are in their 80s. And uh, not long ago, the husband emailed me. He said, oh, we just had the, the opportunity to lead a 99-year-old lady to faith in Jesus. And he said they met this lady uh, a couple of years ago at the beginning of COVID when they went through their, their building to all 100 units, just dropped a note outside the door saying, hey, you know, it's kind of scary times with COVID. If you need anything, we in our church, we'd love to serve you. And, uh, and this lady reached out to them and they struck up a friendship. He said, oh, she's so clear-minded. She's got such energy. She's so curious about life. And so we just developed a relationship, a friendship with her. And he said, and his wife began to just gossip the gospel. She just began to talk about it. And, and, she, and she became so interested. She ended up giving her life to Jesus. And, and he, he wrote that, that as they, uh, she now has to move uh, into a, at 99, 
She's like, well, she finally had to move into a long-term care facility. And so they talk. His wife and her talk on the phone almost daily. And his wife was sharing from the Bible. And she's like, well, I need to read the Bible. And so they went out and got got a Bible with like the biggest font possible so that she could read this Bible. But he says when when she phones every day, she has question after question after question about what she's reading, about what what God is doing uh, and what he's saying. And, And this is what he writes in his email. He says, it is one of those remarkable works of the Holy Spirit which leaves one in complete awe and wonder at the grace and the goodness of our God and the salvation of our Redeemer. This lady continues to be stunned how she could have gone so long without delving into the scriptures and without understanding even the basics of the free gift of God in Christ Jesus. God is changing her life. Jesus is at work transforming her life. At the age of 99, she's like, I want more of him. I want him to to, to work in my heart and in my life. It's so beautiful. And it just grows out of someone who developed a friendship as they served a need and just began to gossip the gospel. And it's this amazing work of the Holy Spirit. The invitation of Jesus is come and follow me and I will change your life. But here's the next invitation. The next invitation that comes in this story. And that's this. Come and see also means come and think. Look at verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and he said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Jesus, Jesus finds Philip and says, follow me. Philip's like, I'm in. I'm all in. But wait, wait, Jesus, before we go, I want to go get my buddy. He should come too. And so he goes and he finds Nathaniel and he says, Nathaniel, same thing. He just gossips the gospel. Nathaniel, we found the Messiah, the one that Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus. He's from Nazareth. He's the son of Joseph. You should come. (laughs) And Nathaniel responds with skepticism and with his really good, very hard question. And then the question is this. He says, Jesus of Nazareth, right? Yeah. Now, we all know that the prophets said that the Messiah was going to come from the line of David from Bethlehem. You know, there's like long distance between Nazareth and Bethlehem. And you're telling me that the Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah? Come on, give me a break, right? I mean, he, th- th- this, is, this is the scenario that, that, that we dread, isn't it? I mean, Philip's like, oh, good point. And this is our fear too, that when we, when we gossip the gospel, that the answer, the response from someone that we, that we respect, that we like, that we have a friendship with, will be skepticism and some kind of hard question that we don't know the answer to. We're like, oh. Yeah, hmm. good question. And the danger is that often we like, I don't want to say anything because what if that happens? What, what, what if I don't know? Well, Philip's response to that question was interesting. He didn't say, well, Nathaniel, how dare you ask that kind of a question? 
Nor does he say, well, the Bible says, so therefore it's true. But neither does he say, oh, yeah, good, good question. Forget about it. No, don't worry. Let's just drop it. No, no. Here's, here's how he responds. Philip says to Nathaniel, come and see. Come and see. Philip says, I don't know. But let's go and talk about it. Let's, let's investigate. Let's think about it. You see, he has this courage and this humble confidence to say, I don't know, but I'm sure that there is a good answer for it. And this is what we need when we gossip the gospel. We need a, a bit of courage combined with a humble confidence that Jesus and the gospel can withstand any kind of hard, difficult, challenging question. In fact, if we give our life to follow Jesus, it should withstand all kinds of hard, difficult, challenging kinds of questions. We think, oh my, I've got to have all of those answers at the tip of my tongue. I mean, we think, I, I, can't, I can't tell anyone about Jesus because I'm not the Bible answer man. I'm not a great theologian. I can't answer all of that. Look, nobody's got all that knowledge at the tip of their tongue. The, the, the deal is, the invitation is, no, good question. Come on, let's think about it. Let's, let's figure it out. I mean, here's the question. How can a good and a loving God that you're telling me about that sent Jesus, how can, if he's so good and loving, how can he allow such suffering and evil and, and heartache in the world? Whew. That's a hard question. It's a good question. Totally legitimate kind of a question. The response is, the response should be, well, come and let's think about it. Let's look at what Jesus says. Let's, let's see what the scriptures teach about it. Because in fact, the Bible and Jesus have better answers to that question than pretty much any other worldview out there. But it requires some thinking. It requires us to, to work at it. You see, those who have this sort of vague spirituality, when it, when it comes to these kinds of questions, what do you say about all the suffering and hardship in the world? You know, the, the answer of that sort of crowd is, well, I don't know. I'm just going to do whatever I think it should be, even if it's not, not even coherent with the rest of my belief system. It's, it's intellectually lazy. I mean, how convenient, right? No, no hard thinking, no, no critical thought involved. It's like, well, I, I just believe this in a vague sort of spiritual way, right? And, and, the, and, the, and the traditional religion approach is, don't ask those questions. Just, just listen to what we say and do what we tell you and, and don't ask those hard questions. But Jesus' invitation is to an intelligent faith. Jesus' invitation is, come, let's talk. Let's think about what it is all about. And there is all kinds of solid, reasonable kind of answers to those questions that you can build a life on. You know, one of the best places to ask those kinds of questions around here is at a class that we're starting, actually, I think in the next week or two, called Starting Point. It's a class where uh, there's, a, there's a video that kind of introduces uh, sort of the foundational elements of the Christian faith. And then there's all kinds of time to ask questions. Well, what about this? Well, what about that? I don't get this. Why that? It's a place for thinking. Come and think. That's the invitation that Jesus has. By the way, if you want to 
get involved in that class. There's space for you. Uh, just go out in the lobby to the Hello Hub or go online and uh, find out some more about it. Nathaniel is skeptical. Nathaniel's like, come on. I know some of this stuff. But he comes with Philip and sees Jesus. Nathaniel's no pansy. He didn't just be like, oh, well, whatever you say, okay. But neither is he so self-righteous and pompous that he refuses to come and to see for himself and to think for himself. And see, this is the next thing that we see in this invitation to come and see. It's an invitation to come and to follow Jesus together with friends. Nathaniel comes with his buddy Philip. And, and Simon comes with his brother Andrew. You see, if the Christian faith was just a, a philosophy, if it was just sort of this way of thinking, you could just, you know, get a textbook and download it all into your head and maybe watch a guru. But, but it's much more than that. The Christian faith is about a relationship with a person, the Son of God, Jesus himself. And, and, and the best way, the best way to understand what it's all about and to process what you see and what you learn and what you're thinking about is with friends. In fact, it's a pattern all through the New Testament. A friend tells another friend about Jesus and they come together and they learn together and they process together. And it's not just this is what it says and this is what it means, but this is how it works out in my everyday life. This is how I live it. And the best way to do that is with friends, which means that you should have some friends that are a little bit ahead of you in their Christian faith or in their spiritual journey, and, and some that are kind of at the same stage as you in their spiritual journey, and maybe some that are a little bit behind you in their spiritual journey. And together, you think about it. You say, okay, what does it mean? How does it work? How do I live like this? Now, you can find those kinds of people in different places. One of the best places, one of the most intentional places, is to find it in a community group here at the church. These are small groups of people that develop friendships and walk together following Jesus. And we have all kinds of community groups that are starting this week. And we want to invite you. If you're not in one of those groups yet, there's still time. Come see someone in the lobby again. Uh, email Dana at hello at bridgechurch.ca and come and join a group. Because it's central to what we're doing. You know, here at the church, we're about Jesus above all. Above all, it's about Jesus. But we're also deeply committed to, to following him together in community, together, not just by ourselves. And city, of course. We're committed to loving our city and, and serving our city and sharing the hope we have in Jesus. But in the middle of that, 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 that thing is community. I want to encourage you. It's a key part of the invitation to faith that Jesus has. Come. Walk together with friends. Philip brings his buddy Nathaniel to see Jesus. And when they come to see Jesus, here's, here's what Jesus says, verse 47. And Jesus says this to Nathaniel. He says, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Now we don't know exactly what it was that Jesus is talking about here. But Nathaniel knew exactly what it was. And Nathaniel says, oh man, you don't just know me a little bit. You know me completely. 
I mean, whatever it was that Jesus saw that was going on in Nathaniel's world under the fig tree was so profound and so significant that he goes from utter skepticism about who Jesus is to totally acknowledging that he is the Son of God, the Messiah himself. And, uh, and he tells that to Jesus. And you can almost hear Jesus chuckling as he says the next words. Here's what he says. He says, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? He said, you will see greater things than these. He said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jesus says, you think that's something? That's nothing compared to what you will see if you follow me. Now, now to understand what Jesus is talking, to understand sort of the context of the conversation between Nathaniel and Jesus, you need to know the Old Testament story of Jacob, one of the patriarchs of the Jewish people. And by the way, by the way, this is why there's such value in reading through the entire Bible. In fact, many of you have been on this journey with us this year. We started last January and have been reading through the entire Bible together over the course of this year. And let me just encourage you. We're almost there. We're almost at the finish line. And, you know, we're reading through the epistles right now, if you're on the plan with us. We're also reading through the prophets, which can be a little bit tougher you just keep going. You, you just keep reading because it gives such background and such insight. And of course, it reveals to us who God is. And if you fall a little bit behind, catch up. We're going to make it. We're going to make it by the end of December. Jacob, if you're not familiar, was the grandson of Abraham. And he, uh, his name meant heel grabber, which was a, a, a term in that day which referred to someone who was sly or deceitful, someone who deceived people. And, uh, uh, but then one night, one night, Jacob becomes, begins wrestling with the angel. It's the angel of God. The angel of God appears in his tent, and they wrestle all night. And in the morning, he, he won't let the angel go unless the angel blesses him. And so the angel changes his name. He says, you'll be known now as Israel because you wrestled with God. And this is the story that Jesus is referring to when he talks to Nathaniel. He says, you're one in whom there is no deceit. There's no slyness. There's no deceptiveness. You are so straightforward and honest and integrity. He says, you are a true Israelite. You are true to the name that Jacob was given. You wrestle with God. You want to know who he is. You want to know the truth. Good for you. But then he goes on to, to reference another experience that Jacob had. Jacob, when he stole the birthright from his brother, his brother Esau was so angry he wanted to kill him. And so Jacob fled for his life. And one night, far from home, in the middle of nowhere, all by himself, he lay down and, and fell asleep. And in the middle of his sleep, he had a dream. And in the dream, he saw a ladder going up into heaven and the angels of God ascending and descending on that ladder. And in the dream, he saw that the, the door that there was this door between the wall that separated heaven and earth. He, he, he saw in that moment that there was this, this, this revelation, this traffic between the world of men and the world of God, and, and that, that God was no longer hidden. But when he woke up, he realized it was a dream. And yet he knew it was more than a dream. And so he, he put down this pillar in that place, and he called the place Bethel meaning the house of God, the, the gate to heaven. And now Jesus comes and he has this interaction with Nathaniel and he references 
Jacob's experience. And he says, I am the gate of heaven. That, that what Jacob saw wasn't just a dream, it was a promise. And I'm here to fulfill that promise. And he says, really to, to Nathaniel, he says, what you're going to see if you follow me, I will reveal to you the way of God. I will reveal to you who God is. I will open your eyes more than ever you ever thought. It'll change the way you see the world around you, and it'll change the way that you see God at work in people's lives. The invitation that Jesus has here for Nathaniel for us is this. When it come and see means come and wonder. Come and be amazed at what God is going to do through Jesus, at lives that are changed, at, at communities that are transformed, at cities that are impacted by the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, come and be at awe at what God will do among entire nations. And you can see it in the world today. People whose sight has been restored. Those who are captive are set free. Those who with no hope, wandering in the darkness, find hope and life and light in Jesus. He says, come, come and wonder at the sight of God at work in the world, restoring and renewing his creation to the way that he always intended it to be, bringing hope and love to generations of people who put their trust in him. See, what Jesus offers is not some vague spirituality you kind of wander around in. He's not calling us to some sort of crusty, traditional religion that sucks the life out of you. No, what he's calling to you is life through a relationship with him. What, what are you seeking? What are you seeking? That's the question that Jesus asks. If you're looking for life, if you're looking for hope and meaning and purpose and peace and love and all that life can possibly be, the place to find it is in Jesus. That's his invitation to us. He says, come and see. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray together. God, we come to you this day on this Thanksgiving weekend, and God, we thank you again that you would send Jesus. That you would send your own son to come in the flesh and dwell among us so we could know you, so we could be in relationship with you, God, so that we could have a relationship with you through Jesus. And God, we thank you for the invitation to come and see. For all that means, God, come to investigate. This is not a blind faith that we have. And, and, and to come and, and to think, to, 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 to think carefully and, and to come and to just wonder at your goodness and your grace in our lives and, and, and to come and to, to be changed by you, to come and follow you. Oh God, would, would you work in our lives as we do those very things? God, would you change us and transform us and use us? Would you open our eyes to see? And God, may we live in wonder at your goodness and your grace, what you're doing in this world. And may our heart be filled with thankfulness. And may we bless you on this day. God, for those who haven't answered your call, the call of Jesus yet on this day, Lord, may they just know they just need to come to you. They just need to ask and that you will welcome them and that they can follow after you as well. God, we thank you. We bless you on this day in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us again today. I hope that you've been encouraged as we've worshiped together, as we've opened God's word together. I want to send you with these words 
from the Apostle John, just a chapter from where we're going to be next. Here's what he says. Words of Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. May God bless you as you go. Have a great Sunday. We'll see you next week.